Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good afternoon, everyone. It's CJ. I hope everyone is having a fantastic day. It is Thursday, July the 14th, and I'm very excited for today's interview. Uh, today's interview is with Diane Sayre. Uh, Diane is a candidate this year for U.S. Senate for 2022, uh, coming up here soon. And what's more exciting about this is actually in New York. Now, uh, Diane uh, is is uh, very, it was very challenging for her to do all the work uh, to make it to. There was lots of things that were done behind the scenes in an attempt to keep her off the ballot, but she was able to conquer all of that. Uh, uh, her career experience includes working as a political organizer and as a fundraiser, as a classical musician, uh, also a choral conductor, and also she was the founder of the Schiller Institute New York City Chorus. Uh, she has also previously worked for former U.S. presidential candidate Lyndon LaRouche for 32 years. Many of us are very familiar with Lyndon LaRouche, the great work that he does, that, that he, uh, his wife does over at the Schiller Institute. And we also want to just thank Harley Slanger for um, affording us this opportunity to connect us uh, for this interview. So without further ado, let me bring uh, Diane in. So Diane, welcome. How are you today? Thanks. I'm very well. Great. Well, again, want to thank you for joining us for this live stream interview. And uh, again, just to for our listeners, I know I briefly went over some of your bio, but if you could do me a favor, Diane, just share, share more about yourself uh, with our listeners, please. Sure. Well, I come, as LaRouche did, interestingly, I come from a New England Quaker family. I grew up in Maine. Uh, both of my parents' families are from there originally. And when I was a student, at, I went to school at Hamilton College in New York for a year, then I went to New England Conservatory of Music. And it was during my time as a student there that I met organizers with Lyndon LaRouche, who was running for president in 1988. And he had just been indicted by none other than Robert Mueller. And the media was full of every kind of vile slander you can imagine. Uh, and somehow, because of my reading of Quaker journals like John Woolman, who was a real uh, anti-slavery organizer in New Jersey in the 1700s. And he spent a lot of time in jail. <laughs> when I saw that LaRouche was likely to go to jail, I actually thought this must be a very great man because they wouldn't bother to harass him like that if he weren't. Yes, um, indeed. We're very thankful for um, the path, one of the, the, the true thought leaders um, of the past several decades and uh, with his work, it continues. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that that was some bit, quite a bit of inspiration for you in terms of your political aspirations and your attempts to really help uh, humanity in terms of the numerous challenges that are there, Diane. So 
uh, for our listeners, why did you decide to run for, for U.S. Senate? Well, because I think the the moment that LaRouche warned about in terms of a total blowout of the transatlantic system is upon us. We have a financial bubble that absolutely cannot be saved, even if they start nuclear World War III. Uh, they just can't salvage this, this system, and they're prepared to obliterate humanity for that. It's not a presidential election year, uh, and Schumer is the majority leader of the U.S. Senate. And New York is a very important state, as it has been since Alexander Hamilton. So I thought that it would be important to have a voice, really LaRouche's voice, in a sense, for these the urgently needed policies here. It was the highest rooftop available, I guess. And uh, Schumer also inspired me by his comments to Rachel Maddow when President newly elected President Trump was talking about going after the intelligence agencies and apparently General Michael Flynn wanted an audit because they've lied us into more than one war. And um, Schumer said, that's a stupid thing to do. They have six ways from Sunday to get back at you. And as far as I was concerned, that was sufficient grounds for him to be thrown out of office. How dare someone say that you go along with lies that have led to the death of millions of people uh, for political expedience or just to save your own skin. That disqualifies someone from political leadership, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you in numerous statements that Schumer has made in regards to uh, his thoughts as, as it relates to uh, our republic. And we're seeing that through some of the progressive ideas that are put forth in fact, I can't remember his name. He was doing an interview, I believe, on CNN, and they were talking about the inflation. They were speaking about the economic conditions that are deteriorating very rapidly. And his opinion was that it was worth it because we're pushing forth uh, the liberal ideologies, the liberal ideas of progressive liberalism in our country. And, and I don't agree with that, uh, Diane. And, and so I want to thank you for uh, doing what you're doing in terms of you know, running for Senate, I'm sure there's a lot of hard work, a lot of personal sacrifices behind that. And so in terms of your platform and your candidacy, why don't you share a little bit about some of the attempts that were made to keep you off the ballot of U.S. Senate in New York? Sure. I'm really glad you brought that up because actually we just got um, word this week that the so-called Independence Party has been thrown off the ballot in New York, which is a very good thing, and I'll tell you why. And I received a press release from the Libertarian Party, which I should forward to you because they referenced their work and the work of my campaign volunteers. Um, first of all, what happened in New York in the 2019-2020 elections is that the basically to eliminate any outside voices, any dissent, they said, we're going to set up a $100 million matching fund, slush fund. And in New York, people who get matching funds, it's not double. They get eight to one. So if you raise $250, you get $2,000. It's unbelievable. This does not only not level the playing field, what it does is it means the people with a lot of money just get, forget it. Uh, someone without big banks backing them is going to be nowhere in this scene. So it's already very fraudulent. 
they don't start until 2024, but they said in the interest, and you know the state legislature and the bureaucrats at Albany are always very interested in protecting New York taxpayers from spending frivolous money. So they said, in order to protect the taxpayers, we have to prevent frivolous candidates from getting these matching funds. So we're going to basically make you jump through four walls of fire, leap around the moon, come back, stand on your head and do a somersault, and then we'll determine that you're a viable candidate. Uh, and this included retroactively throwing substantial opposition voices off the ballot. The Libertarian Party got thrown off the ballot. The Green Party got thrown off the ballot. They have a right to express their opinion. They have won elections. They've been around for decades. And what they said is we're going to triple the signature requirement. So from 15,000 signatures in six weeks, which was already one of the most difficult in the country, John McCain famously could not get on the ballot in New York when he ran for president. He had a big lawsuit. They made it 45,000 signatures. And wow. when I first heard this, the person who told me, a friend of mine who's an attorney, and I said, you know, I want to get ready for this petitioning. I know 15,000 is going to be really difficult. Can you call the Board of Elections? And he said, uh, Diane, I think you should forget it. It's 45,000 signatures. And I said, what? I thought he was wrong. I had three other people call to find out if this was true. I got the legislation. I found where it was slipped into the budget. Um, and it was correct. So then I began plan. Look, if you're with LaRouche for 30 years, you're a seasoned street organizer. So I began building a network. I started my own newspaper because I'm expecting any minute to get thrown off of Facebook and Twitter and everything else. Um, so we built a network of distributors. Uh, we had about 174 volunteers and my campaign filed 66,000 signatures on the deadline. Uh, and we were the only one to successfully do that. Now, coming back to the Independence Party, Lee Zeldin, who is an incumbent US congressman who has the Republican nomination for governor, doesn't need to petition to get on the ballot because he's with a viable party, namely the Republican Party. But he decided, since the state tends to vote blue these days, or at least the city, that he wanted to get another line. In New York, you can have your name on multiple lines and people can vote for you under the conservative party as opposed to under the Democratic party or whatever. They can't vote for you more than once, but they can vote for you under a different line. So I think Zeldin and his campaign figured that in a democratic state, it would be wise to get another line. So they tried to get the independence line. They turned in 52,000 signatures, but um, 1,000 pages, namely 11,000 of those signatures were photocopies. Wow. And wow. they had turned in the original and the copy and given them two different page numbers. I mean, talk about fraud and how disgusting, what total disregard for the electorate. It, it really made me angry. And the Libertarian Party, since they, um, I don't know, they're still challenging it in court. They were able to file 43,000 signatures. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with that. 
but also anyone who did the actual work. And I, I use the word sadistic to describe this. The mm -hmm. first day mm -hmm. of petitioning, I was in Buffalo leading our Buffalo team. We had a blizzard. It was oh, April 19th. No. We had a blizzard. You couldn't miss a day. You, you would be off the ballot. So people were out in blizzards and torrential downpours trying to find pens with ink that didn't smudge when it was wet. Crazy things. We had one person get uh, sick with COVID because of being at a, you know, crowded event. And also the, the pandemic made a pro because many people aren't going to church or the mosque or wherever you'd get a large crowd. I read in Crane's Business Weekly that the New York um, offices right now are only at 8% capacity. So they're tripling the signature requirement in a time when you don't have the population flow. I mean, it was really outrageous, really outrageous, really difficult. I couldn't do anything but petition for six weeks. And thank God I did it hands-on and, and was on top of every detail because with all this fraud, um, you know, I, the libertarians had a problem with vendors. They hired vendors to get signatures for them. And it was a total scam. People were collecting a couple hundred dollars a day and turning in 30 signatures. And, and I told my team, I said, look, this is impossible. We're being made to do something impossible. No one who is paid to do this will be able to do it. Only people who are dedicated to the mission. And, and we did. And I'm happy to say that the viable Republican Party in their front group, uh, the Independence Party, failed. And they are off the ballot as of this week. And I'm very pleased about that. They aren't off as the Republican Party. I think they should be. I think anyone that commits that kind of gross fraud, which is criminal, you're signing affidavits mm -hmm. swearing you got these signatures, that's criminal. Yeah. So I think they should be off altogether, but uh, that's not quite under my control and I don't want to waste time and money on a big lawsuit. Sure. Well, that effort doesn't surprise me, you know, because literally like anything that is said by the uh, progressive liberals, you have to just take the opposite. So when they say that we want open and transparent elections, they don't mean that <laughs> right. unless you're unless, of course, you're John Bolton, who wants to openly admit to, uh, you know, participating in coups <laughs> with other countries. But uh, Diane, to, to, to get back to the core of it. So when you decided to run as an independent and you decided to go because that's very that's a that's a, a, a huge challenge, right, in terms of the political landscape with several of the things that you mentioned in regards to the super PACs in terms of the millions of dollars that are spent on these campaigns. Uh, and, and one of the things you, you said when you had your first statements in regards to one of the core things that we are facing right now as a country is, is a, the fact that the original Britain Woods, which you know established a gold-backed uh, dollar currency, was completely thrown out the window and has led to several decades of, of money printing and has contributed to what we just read yesterday in the newspapers, that inflation is at a 40-year high at 9.1%. And so it's time to get back to some of those core principles of, of sound money. So, Diane, why don't you share in terms of your, your uh, campaign, in terms of some of the core principles, the things that are guiding your campaign in this election to become Senator of New York? Sure, I will. Um, and let me just say this as a way of getting to that. I don't know if you saw it or were aware that the city of New York put out a public service message 
on what to do in the event of a nuclear bomb hitting Manhattan? I did not see that. No, no, I did not. They put out, it's about a minute and 20 second video. I thought it was a spoof. It's a woman uh, in front of a bunch of brownstone buildings, uh, maybe in Harlem or somewhere. And she says, so we just got the news that a nuclear bomb has dropped. The big one has happened. As a public safety message, we're going to tell you how certain measures you can take to survive. Number one, get inside. Number two, if you happened to be outside when the bomb detonated, be sure uh, to get inside as quickly as possible and remove all of your clothing, which will be contaminated and uh, put it in a, a plastic bag and make sure to shower and, and clean everything that you can. And number three, close your windows and stay inside and tune into the radio for further instructions and don't go out until you've heard more. Now, as one of my friends said, if there were a severe thunderstorm, maybe this would make sense. A nuclear war. And a colleague of mine, Carl Osgood at Executive Intelligence Review, who follows military affairs, sent me a video of someone who was much more honest about what would happen to New York City in the event I got hit by a bomb of the magnitude of the one we dropped on Hiroshima. Now, first of all, I have to say, Russia is not going to bomb a civilian population center. The U.S. did that. No one else has ever even used the nuclear weapon. Right. Russia is not going to do this. But nonetheless, um, if you used a bomb the magnitude of Hiroshima, which is, I think, 15 times less powerful than what we would use today, 250,000 people would be vaporized immediately. You'd have a, a fireball Mag orders of magnitude hotter than the center of the sun, things would just melt. And then the force of the blast would break all the windows. You'd have glass, weaponized, melted glass shards flying into everyone, everything. Um, and then you'd have another 300,000 or so people dead. You would have buildings collapsing. The video um, that I saw of the more realistic set in Japan, one of the problems they didn't have because they were an earthquake zone is they didn't have buildings that were really heavy out of brick that would trap, they were made out of rice paper and things like that. But in New York, forget it, the people under fall. So why are they putting this thing out? What is the point? And, and my campaign manager called the Office of Emergency Preparedness and said, is this a spoof? Do you, do you know what happens? And they said, oh no, we had a team that researched this and this was, and she said, you got to be kidding me. And then the person let slip something. They said, well, there might be an accident. So mm -hmm. would they stage something that's not as deadly as a nuclear war, claim it was a nuclear war, use it as an ex a pretext to nuke Russia? Is that what they're preparing for? Are they just trying to scare people? I don't know, but it's truly insane it 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 is it is um it's it's insane because we we have a situation where the department of defense believes that they could you know win some type of a small scale uh nuclear exchange and and then you know you compound that with the fact that they've been able to accomplish so much with the fear um they've they've been able to leverage fear to manage society for so long and they've gotten pretty good at it and if you consider all things with the war on terror 
uh, with the policies that were uh, implemented during during uh, COVID, and now during this turmoil that's taking place uh, with with uh, Ukraine and Russia, they want to leverage that that fear factor uh, just for society. And they, and I think the reason they do it is just kind of it provides them cover uh, to continue the the wealth extraction and the money laundering that's occurring when you have a uh, uh, Ukraine situation where Zelensky is now asking and stating that the uh, the the financial levers, the including the primarily the West, needs to continue rolling out the billions of dollars per month to support it. It's just Diane, it's it's such a shame what's happening in Washington D.C. And I'm glad that you're running as an independent. I I label myself politically homeless. Um, I previously I had voted for for Bill Clinton. I had uh, voted for uh, for George Bush. I I you know I I wanted so much to believe in that two party system that it made a difference, but you know, we used to have an anti-war party in the United States. We used to, but not anymore. You see the Democrats and the Republican, Republicans walking in lockstep to continue this foreign intervention policies that have yielded no results the past several years. Right, exactly. Now, on this blowout, what LaRouche had said a number of years ago was that part of the reason for running a nuclear war is that if the Anglo-Americans can say we won, they can write off all their debt obligations because what are they holding? It's quadrillions hmm. of dollars of derivatives obligations, which can never be paid. Correct. Correct. Right. And, and that's really why see all of this. Um, and I had a talk with some members of the building trades unions and I said, forget it, raising interest rates, lowering interest it doesn't work the system is over it's systemic the only solution is bankruptcy reorganization and as you brought up this Bretton Woods idea where you've got to have a group of big nations and the U.S. has to be recruited everyone who's listening to this program who's in the U.S. in particular and everywhere but we have to turn the U.S. We have to get back to the principles in our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. We we had a revolution against the British Empire, not so we could be the British Empire, which is the role we're Exactly. Playing. So true. Yes. Yeah. So at any rate, we got to just zero this out, get rid of the crap, don't bail it out. Then um, you need fixed exchange rates. As we had in Bretton Woods, the dollar was pegged to a certain gold. Maybe it'll be another precious metal, but there's got to be a relationship among currencies, which is stable, not for speculation. And then we need Glass-Steagall in every country, because what Glass-Steagall allows is it's not merely a separation of investment from commercial banking, and it's not merely a firewall that protects people's savings and makes the banking transparent, but what it would force you to, how are you going to break up these banks? You're going to have to put people in like FDR did when he had the bank holiday who are going to go through the books of the banks and determine what is legitimate debt and what is illegitimate debt. And you know what they're going to find? Drug money laundering, human trafficking, weapons trafficking. They're going to find crime. It is going to stink to high heaven what they're going to find. And maybe some bankers who have belonged in jail for some time and never go. Mm -hmm. go to jail. We're going to have to write off this criminal speculative activity. And then you're going to need a national bank. You're going to have to 
either nationalize the Federal Reserve or bankrupt the Federal Reserve and create a national bank. And you're going to need a lot of credit. We are. We have sewage treatment plants and police departments and fire departments that are tied up in these derivatives and other kinds of weird investments because Moody's and Standard and Poor's downgraded municipal bonds. Correct. Yes. Yes. Right. So you're going to have to make sure that the things that people's lives depend on are funded, including the pension funds. You're going to have to make sure those are funded, but you're not going to, you know, if a few billionaires are down to only becoming millionaires, I think they'll survive. I've never had to live on a million dollars, but I think I probably could. <laughs> right. Yeah. It would it'd be, it'd be a struggle, Diane. I, I would struggle with it, but I can make do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'd struggle, but we could do it, you know. Um, so they're not going to die. But if you shut down sewage treatment plants and nursing homes and hospitals, people die. So and and this is the biggest challenge because the government has lost the trust of the people. Indeed. And and you have to have a government to do something like this. You have to have a government that is trustworthy or it won't work. But the way you get that is the people have to demand it. And, and I'm going to put this the onus of the responsibility back on the people because there's too much that we have allowed to happen in this country. There has not been enough of an outcry. And please don't tell me we're going to have some revolution or, you know, Trump is going to come back on a white horse. No, no leader can do this unless the American people get smarter and demand what is actually necessary. Mm -hmm. Right. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I, I think if you look around the globe and you look at the turmoil uh, that's being created, whether it's in the, uh, the Netherlands or Sri Lanka, or even the Canadians here closer to North America, the Canadian, the truckers, uh, that I think everyone kind of has a sense, Diane, that, that there's something fundamentally that's broken. I think a lot of people are are leaning towards that direction of saying, well, why is there such a disconnect between what the media is telling us, between what Washington, D.C. is doing and Main Street? Why is there such a disconnect of, of what is happening and I think more people are trying are struggling to put their finger exactly on it to understand. But unfortunately, you know, in politics in the United States, we treat our politics like we do our sports team. Right. We want we want our team to win. And, and I and I and I get that from that perspective. But I completely agree that this is really going to be a grassroots movement. It's going to take, you know, even though it, it starts at the individual and then and then it grows from there, it's going to have to take a lot more work to get people to understand the ideas of correcting uh, the fact that we have not been good stewards of the of the world reserve currency and the, the, the Fed continues these monetary policies that in, in whole have led to this top one percent that continue to gain and gain and gain. At the same time, the middle class in, in the United States is, is becoming is being destroyed. And we're witnessing that in real time now um, in regards to uh, the 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 notion of the the new Britain woods and. Can you talk a little bit around the need to move from more of like the unilateral type policies that the West has been implementing and to really understand more towards the multinationalism that's that's happening uh, globally that we need to embrace here in the United States? I don't think that most people really I think they fear that a little bit of that world of, of mm -hmm. that we're the world of, of, of multinationalism, and what's involved. Can you 
Can you talk a little bit around that, Diane, please? Yes, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I was thinking also most Americans are not really aware of what's going on in the world. Uh, people have to understand, and it's very hard for us as Americans because we were used to leading the world. We were the first to build a transcontinental railroad, the first to land a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth. We were prosperous. We had the highest standard of living in the world. And we tend to therefore think of us as a global hegemon, that we run the world. The way we go, the world goes. Well, while you weren't looking, we gave up our birthright and other nations have picked up the mantle and frankly with policies very similar to what one would call the American system even though their form of government may not be the same. And I'm referring here to China, which after the horrors of the Cultural Revolution made a very conscious decision to reverse it, including sending hundreds of thousands of students to the US and Western Europe, bringing back Beethoven, bringing back science. But remember, China is a 5,000 year old civilization. They had uh, steel, they were making iron actually centuries before the West. Um, and I only learned recently that they sent people to Kentucky, I don't know when, I forget in the 1700s or something to teach, wow. <laughs> to help us. Um, so all this nonsense about all the evil Chinese scientists spying on us and stealing things, what are they stealing? Our, our bank, our inability to fix a pothole? You know, we're, what are, we, what are we demonstrating that anyone would want to steal right now? So they, um, decide, they decided that poverty had to be ended. And they, over 30 years, have lifted, or 40 years, 800 million people out of extreme poverty. And, and there was just a speaker at the Schiller Institute conference who made a point. They did not have a war to do it. They didn't invade one single other country while they were getting people out of poverty. And they didn't do it by mailing out welfare checks. They did it by having people on the ground go to the impoverished pockets and find out why people were impoverished and then create businesses and create industries and change a, a pork farmer to a kiwi farmer and build a railroad so they can ship out their goods. It was very physical, very hands-on. So when the sanctions were imposed on russia the latest round we've been doing it for a while putin and xi jinping had met february 4th on the sidelines of the olympics and they had this 16 page memorandum of understanding basically saying and i am not going to speculate on whether putin told xi that he was thinking of uh taking a military action in ukraine i don't know that it's probably likely it was discussed, but what is in on paper is they said, we support each other's sovereignty. We support each other's territorial integrity. We're gonna have a whole wide range of agreements on food, on science, on energy, on space exploration. It was beautiful. And they said, this is not directed against any third country. What we are asserting is there has to be an order in the world where the security interests of every nation are respected equally. So when Biden tells us that we're going to be tough and we should be happy for spending a million dollars to fill up your motorcycle with gasoline. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> because we're sticking it to Russia and we're made, first of all, 
why do we want Russian people to suffer? That's not my main goal in life. My, I don't want to make anybody else suffer. So why does he think it's so great that we're making people suffer somewhere? Why should we be happy to do that? But at any rate, we're supposed to be happy to be torturing Russia. Well, but Russia decided they don't believe in this Green New Deal, Great Reset nonsense. So they're working with China. The Shanghai Cooperation Organization is now talking about bringing Iran in. These are like the large countries, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, et cetera. Um, they're growing. They represent a much larger portion of the world's population than the lunatic fringe. That's what I'll call us in the West does, right? The I like that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> We're a tiny minority. We just happen to have nuclear weapons and a gigantic <laughs> bubble of derivatives. Exactly. Yeah. And we're, we're committing suicide. And these other people are saying, you know what? Uh, looks like this, this war in Ukraine is going to cause food shortages. Let's increase food production. Now, unfortunately, India had a horrible hot spell, but their government had agreed to subsidize the farmers to make sure they could increase food. What happened here, the American farmers, and Americans are good people. That's why we've got to pull ourselves together and fight. The American people, the American farmers said, look, we're gonna have a terrible shortage of grain. Let's pull some of that land out of set aside. Let's gear up production. And the Secretary of Agriculture, Vilsack, said, oh no, you don't, oh no. No, no, we cannot mess up our 30 by 30. We got to This is bad for the climate. You know, growing green things is bad for green. I don't know why that is, but you can't can't increase food production. And um, it, it really sick. So people should see. And I think that that public service announcement of the one and a half minute video on <laughs> insanity, survive a nuclear war by doing your laundry and closing your windows. Um, should give forget it why should you take anything as credible and now coming back to what i said so someone could ask me well how are you telling us to trust the government that's clearly gone mad because it's only the government that's going to be able to rein in these crazy bankers so we have a real problem unless the american people step in in a big way yeah absolutely i i completely agree and it's it's very unfortunate because if you look at the actions that are taking place, it almost appears they're willing to go full scorched earth in order to continue the dollar dominance and the U.S. hegemony around the globe. I don't see a whole lot of things that are changing. And now we're witnessing, you know, Biden have to go uh, to the Saudis. Uh, he's trying to repair the relationship with with Mexico. Uh, I think it's too late. I think the actions of the United States and, and I think Afghanistan was a, a huge uh, blow in terms of the confidence that if there was any little bit of confidence on the world stage that the United States has, I think Afghanistan completely threw that all the way out the window. And one of the things that, Diane, we never do that you never see government ever do is to ever acknowledge that mistakes were made. There's never any type of self-assessment and brought forth to the American people to say, here's what went wrong. We, 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 we did this wrong. We could have done things better. And you see that time and time again, but that, that never happens. You never hear government admitting that they were wrong with any of the policies that they put forth. They just provide excuses. The media picks that up and they continue the narrative uh, that we we live in the greatest economic prosperous times that we truly don't. And that I joke, Diane, I say that's why they need Mark Zuckerberg to create the metaverse, because in the future, 
that's the only place that government is going to be successful is in the metaverse. Because in reality, reality is going to come back and, and kick them in the tail here real soon. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Diane, why don't you share for our listeners how they can learn more about your campaign, your social media handles, so that way they can follow your work as well there, please. Okay, great. I hope I know them all. <laughs> but my, uh, you'll, you'll put stuff on the screen, right? I'll bring it up on the screen right now great. to help. How's that? Absolutely. Great. Okay. My website is easy. That's Sarah for Senate. And you can see my last name is spelled S-A-R-E. F-O-R, not the number four, sarefoursenate.com. That's my website, and you can find links there. And I'm also on Twitter, uh, Diane Sare for U.S. Senate. Is that Sare for, with the number four? Some of I these things. It. What uh, is at, it? At Diane Sare, yeah, just straight at, at Diane Sare. just my name. Yep. Yep, okay, absolutely. great, at Diane Sare. Then I am on Instagram, which is Sare with the number four, Senate. Uh, I am also on Telegram as um, Sarah for Senate, the same thing with the number. Okay. Um, and Facebook, which is, I guess that's Sarah for, I don't know what I put on Facebook. Yeah. Diane Sarah Independent. Yeah. For, for 2022. Yeah. Uh, Diane, want to thank you uh, for your time. Any uh, closing thoughts, Diane, as we wrap up this interview? And again, want to thank you so much for your time today. But any closing thoughts, please? Well, I'd really like to thank you for having me. I would just say, do not give up hope. This crisis is our best friend. It's just a cliffhanger because we could not make the magnitude of changes that have to be made now unless the old system were going to come down with a crash. So it really is a race against time if we can pull ourselves together with the bankruptcy reorganization and new Bretton Woods before these lunatics uh, kill us all off with a nuclear war or food shortages or whatever they have up their sleeve. But that's what it was bound to look like. They wouldn't give up their power unless they were collapsing. So here we are, and we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. Diane, thank you so much for all our, all our listeners tuning in on the multiple platforms that we're live streaming today. I want to thank you for tuning in. Do us a favor make sure that you share this interview let's share more information about diane about her campaign the things that she's doing in conjunction with the the larouche organization the schiller institute uh to really help humanity i know that i say that quite a bit but we're, we're in that stage now where it's going to take each individual uh, to become involved and change the trajectory uh, that we're heading uh, towards in the united states so diane thank you so much and perhaps maybe we could do this again great thank you very much hey, thank you